Hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. Hey, what's going on, co-filers? I know that I promised you a Halloween special, and here it is. I hope everybody's having a good, safe Halloween. Um, If you're listening to this early in your day, that's uh, good. If you're getting ready to go trick-or-treating because you're able to right now in the midst of everything that's going on, um, maybe this could be some food for thought. Now, I understand uh, that we've all been told, at least I have since I was a child, and then we tell our kids, we have to inspect your candy. We have to make sure that there's, there's nothing bad going on with your candy. And this is the story of where that actually stems from. Um, this is the true story of the notorious trick-or-treat murder. Um, like I said, true story. Uh, but before we get into all that, I want to say uh, happy Halloween. Um, I hope everybody's having a good time. Everybody's having fun. Um, hopefully you get more treats than tricks. And uh, I know as we're getting even closer to the holiday season, closer to the election, I mean closer to everything, it, it feels like a huge, huge, huge buildup. Just getting ready to, to have something epic happen and then hopefully we have a calming 2021 regardless of what happens next. Um, hopefully this pandemic dies down. I guess Regeneron is already uh, being FDA approved. There's talks of a vaccine coming very soon. Um, and for you anti-vaxxers, I know that scares the shit out of you. Um, what else? I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, the election, uh, they're saying this is the most important election of all time. And I, I, I mean, I think they all really are. It depends on, on, you know, how you want to see this country shaped. So I think they're all important elections. Um, let's see what else, what else, what else? Regeneron. I mean, that's really about it. Um, like I said, if you're able to trick or treat, that's awesome. Good for you guys. Hopefully your kids are still all dressed up and, and getting ready to go have a good time. Um, I personally just got done carving pumpkins with my kids. So it's, it's been a good night families in town, you know, uh, we're going to have other family in town for the holidays, uh, once Thanksgiving and stuff roll around. So one side of the family came out to spend Halloween with the kids, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, outside of that, nothing too crazy going on. Um, I'm sure some of your kids have gone back to school. Um, and quick quick question. If you guys have any kids that have gone back to school and their schools have already been re-shut down, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about that just to see how, you know, if other states and other countries are doing it, especially other countries. If you guys have anything going on in other countries where you guys are going back to school or I don't know how, how you know, Europe's doing it. I don't know how Asia's doing it. I don't, I don't know how every other continent on the planet is handling this right now. Some places it's a hotbed. Other places don't seem to be too affected. Um, last I checked, uh, New Zealand was, was doing good. Um, they were almost completely done with the virus really, really early. And then I think there was like four cases and a hundred and something cases. And then it almost did a second surge here in Arizona. We're being told that we're in our third surge. So, uh, Corona, man. So I thought that this would be a really interesting story to do simply because, um, we're not trick or treating or some people aren't, I don't know what we're doing yet. (laughs) We'll figure it out tomorrow. But, uh, I know there's a lot of people who aren't trick or treating or aren't allowed to trick or treat. There's some cities, some, some States that, that won't allow trick or treating because of the fear of the spread of the Corona. And, uh, and right now it seems like going door to door to complete strangers to have them offer you things that you're going to put in your mouth seems like a bad idea. Well, before that, we were all warned about it anyway. So we're going to get into that 
Uh, first and foremost, I, I do want to say um, thanks to Age of Radio again. And if you haven't listened to Rap Sheets, go check them out. They're, they're one of the newer podcasts on Age of Radio. They're great. Uh, Breakdown from the Couch, Murder Under the Midnight Sun. Uh, I mean, Color Me Dead. There's a lot of really good podcasts on there. So check out ageofradio.org every chance you get. And uh, let's get into it. So as I said, 1974, I believe. So, how every parent's worst nightmare unfolded in a small Texas town. Now, on a rainy Halloween night in 1974, the children of Deer Park, Texas were out knocking on doors. Ronald Clark O'Brien, an optician, was out too, watching you know, over his kids, as you should. Um, I was able to go trick-or-treating on my own at a very young age, and I don't know if that's a... Uh, if that's a thing that parents still do. I think we're a little bit more paranoid these days. Also, um, like I said, I'm from the West Coast. Um, but back East, I noticed that kids would actually go trick-or-treating like when it was still daytime. Here, um, the majority of us wait till like the early nightfall, like we'll say like 6, 7 o'clock at night when the sun starts to go down. Then we'll take our kids trick-or-treating. Whereas I noticed back East, they do it pretty much during the day, almost right after school. I thought that was kind of kind of different. Anyway, so his eight-year-old Timothy and his five-year-old Elizabeth. Now, as they trick-or-treated in a suburban neighborhood near their home, joining them was the O'Brien's neighbors, Jim Bates, and his young son. One of the houses the group approached had all its lights switched off, and we've all heard about that. You don't approach lights, you know, your house with the lights off. You, they got to have decorations or at least the, the porch light on. At least that's what we've taught our kids. But the kids banged on the door anyway. The vague promise of candy was entirely too enticing. Now, there was no answer. Now, either the occupants were hiding or no one was home. Now, growing impatient, the kids ran off to find another house, and Jim followed. Ronald was left alone. Catching up with the others a short while later, Ronald had good news. He produced a handful of 21-inch pixie sticks. Uh, so, if you don't know what a pixie stick is, it's just powdered sour candy. It's, it's out of all the candies. It's one of the, <laughs> one of the lamest, I think. Um, so, turned out someone had been in that dark house all along. The sweets were handed out, one to each of the children there, and one for Jim's other child and another to a 10-year-old boy, Ronald, who had recognized from church as the group walked home. Now, before bed, Timothy O'Brien was allowed one treat from the evening's hall and picked his pixie stick tube. Now, the powdered sugar was stuck in the straw, and it wasn't until his dad helped him to dislodge it that he could take his first mouthful. It tasted bitter. He complained, so Ronald grabbed him a glass of Kool-Aid to wash the taste away. Less than an hour later... Timothy was dead. It was just a coincidence that I was working the police intake that night, says former Harris County prosecutor Mike Hinton. Decades later, on the phone from Houston, I got a call from the Pasadena Police Department. They told me an eight-year-old boy had died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he had already passed. Now, wanting to get his investigation underway, Hinton called Dr. Joseph A. Jakimzik, chief medical examiner of the nearby Harris County. I told him the situation, and he asked what the young man's breath smelled like. Now, a call to the morgue revealed that there was a scent of almonds coming from the boy's mouth. It's cyanide. Immediately, said Dr. Jesimic. An autopsy, an autopsy proved the medical examiner's hunch. A pathologist said Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two people. Tests later found that the top two inches of the pixie stick had been packed with the poison. Now, police officers managed to recover the remaining sweets from the other children before any of them had a chance to dig in, and noted that whoever was responsible had used staples to seal the pixie sticks after tampering with them. That's what saved another boy's life that night. They found him in bed with a sweet in his hand, but he wasn't strong enough to undo the staples. Imagine that. If that was your kid, 
how fucking close. And I mean, at that point, you're like, thank God my kid's weak. Thank God I don't take him out and play baseball with him. Thank God I haven't taught him how to ride a bike. I mean, the right here is where lazy parenting really came in handy. The kid just couldn't undo these damn staples. Now, the police took Ronald back to the neighborhood the group had been trick-or-treating in so he could direct them to the house where he'd picked up the pixie sticks, but he was stumped. He just couldn't find the house and said he'd never seen the face of the person responsible that had just emerged from a doorway and handed him the candy. Investigators started to become suspicious. A few days went by, and it was incredibly frustrating, says Hilton. So they took O'Brien out again and were pretty firm with him. The tactic worked. Ronald's memory was suddenly jogged. He pointed towards the house. The man who lived there wasn't home, so officers went to his place of work, Houston William Hobby P. Airport, and arrested him in front of his colleagues. The mystery was over. Case closed. Only the man had an alibi. It turned out that he was actually working that night, says Hinton in his long Texan drawl. His wife and daughter were home and had turned out the lights early as they'd run out of candy. Colleagues and timesheets confirmed the man's story. This only magnified my suspicions, says Hinton. I'd also heard O'Brien was angry at the relatives for not staying up the night of Timothy's funeral, which was odd. So it's it's kind of one of those things where this detective has a hunch, and I don't know how many times we've talked about it on our podcast and how many other episodes, but it always boils down to a detective with a hunch. Like, they are the ones that catch these guys. Um, that, and if you listen to, uh, uh, the Ted Bundy podcast, which I'm not done, I got one more I'm going to do, but, uh, it's, it routine traffic stops also tend to work for some reason. Now, Ronald, uh, it transpires, had written a song about Jesus and Timothy joining the Lord in heaven and had grown agitated when his grieving family wouldn't stay up late to watch a recording of the performance being broadcast on television. Something strange is going on, says Hinton. Soon after, while he was teaching a class at the Pasadena Police Academy, detectives arrived at Hinton's door. They had discovered that Ronald had recently taken out life insurance policies on both of his children, $10,000 per child, um, the January of that year, and then a further $20,000 each um, one month before Halloween. Now, investigators already knew Ronald owed debts of over $100,000, so when they found out he'd called the insurers to ask about the payout at 9 a.m. the morning after Timothy's death, it was clear the case was against him was beginning to come together, which is just fucking sad. I understand taking out insurance policies to help with the family if, in case of emergency or something happens, but, you know, and even, even sometimes on your kids and stuff like that, but when you're doing it that close, it was almost like a, not to get too conspiratorial, how everybody noticed that like the owner of Twin Towers took out insurance policies like really soon before the the whole terrorist attack and everything else like that like there's a lot of stuff like that comes into question you really start to question somebody's motives when they're pulling something like that so anyway <clears throat> uh, granted a warrant a search of the O'Brien house offered up a pair of scissors with plastic residue attached um which was similar to that found on the cyanide lace suites. Now, O'Brien was arrested and taken in for questioning. As the investigation continued, says Hinton, the evidence started to stack up against Ronald. It turned out O'Brien was going to community college and in class would ask his professor questions like, what is more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? Uh, why would someone ask that? Like, fuck. <laughs> another witness who worked for a chemical company in Houston told police, a man had come in to buy some cyanide, but left after being told the smallest amount he could buy was five pounds. 
The man from the store said he couldn't identify O'Brien, but he remembered that his customer was wearing a beige or blue smock like a doctor, says Hinton. O'Brien was an optician. That was exactly the uniform he wore to work. Um, if you're going to buy poison, maybe try not to look like you're already wearing a fucking Halloween costume. You know, just go in there looking as plain Jane as possible. <laughs> you know, and is he like going and buying cyanide on his fucking lunch break? Uh, you know, for being an optician. Uh, anyway, I thought I had a joke there, but I didn't. So you put a fucking joke in there and you make yourself laugh. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, still, this was years before DNA testing and contactless debit cards and police couldn't put the pixie sticks in Ronald's hands or prove he'd bought any cyanide. So the 30 year old optician maintained his innocence. Now, Hinton remembers the case vividly. In the decades that have passed, his memories have remained sharp. O'Brien adored the attention, he says. I think he even loved it during his trial. Which, that's another thing you see with a lot of these fucking sociopaths. They, uh, they lose their shit, and they go, and once they're caught, or even while the investigation's going on, they just, like, it's like their limelight. Like, they bask in that shit. It's crazy. Like, I don't, I don't understand uh, how these motherfuckers get like that. I mean... I mean, we saw it recently, not recently, but if, quite a few years ago now, I guess, in uh, in Arizona with, uh, fuck, what was her name? Ah, oh, man, her name. I just listened to a podcast on her, too, which she's going to be an interesting case. Uh, fuck, not Casey Anthony, the other psychopath, the one that murdered her husband, her boyfriend. Uh, fuck it, it's gone. Anyway, <laughs> Ronald entered a not guilty plea with his defense blaming the taint, tainted candy on some untraceable boogeyman, a sick individual, or sorry, a sick, <laughs> nope, that wasn't a pun, a sick individual using the cover of Halloween to poison unsuspecting children. But friends, family, and co-workers all testified against the man, um, and the press was now calling him the Candy Man, so there's an entire, like, fucking scary movie series based on the Candyman, or the whole, like, you say, Candyman in the mirror thing. So that's kind of crazy that that's where that comes from. And not, not like the Willy Wonka where they sing the Candyman can. And on June 3rd of 1975, it took just 46 minutes for a jury to return a guilty verdict for one charge of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. An hour later, it was decided that Ronald would be executed by electric chair. Now, before and since the Deer Park poisoning, rumors of dodgy sweets being handed out have always surfaced around Halloween. But whether the fear is that the candies contain broken glass and razor blades or that they're actually ecstasy pills, there's not much evidence to suggest parents actually have anything to worry about. As a matter of fact, in 2000, a man in Minneapolis was charged with putting needles in the Snickers bars he'd handed out to trick-or-treaters. But the only victim he claimed was a teenager who got a slight prick from the hidden sharp object. Since Timothy O'Brien, there hasn't been a single case where a child has actually died after consuming contaminated Halloween treats, if that makes you feel any better at all. Now, Ronald Clark O'Brien's appeal avenues were explored and turned down for nearly a decade and after his guilty verdict, so it wasn't until March 31st of 1984 when all routes to survival had been exhausted that he was finally put to death for his crime. But by this point, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled the electric chair a cruel and unusual punishment, so his life was ended with a lethal injection. Isn't that kind of ironic? Now, outside the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville, a crowd of around 300 people gathered to hear if the man, the Halloween prisoner, had met his end, shouting, Trick or treat! 
I'm pretty sure some of them threw in the word bitch. So I'm imagining there's just a bunch of people going, trick or treat, bitch, and throwing candy at anti-death penalty protesters. <laughs> That's like the sweetest way to be like, fuck off, here's a Tootsie Roll. And at 12.48 a.m., when Ronald was pronounced dead, Hinton was in his childhood home in Amarillo, an eight-hour drive from Huntsville. That evening, he'd gone to his favorite lake, fishing rod in hand, and drunk a beer in celebration as he drifted out into the darkness. And that is the short, sweet fucking story behind the Candyman. The man that has crept into all of our parents' nightmares, our own nightmares as parents. And it's really crazy uh, to think about how the, the ripple effect of, of things. And that's kind of why I wanted to do this. I, I didn't want to do too, too crazy, too long of a podcast um, on Halloween because I know the majority of you guys have families and events and things that you're doing. I could have strung it out. I could have made it longer. I didn't really want to. Um, I didn't want to occupy too much of your time, um, but I did want to do a specifically Halloween thing, and I felt that this was like historically important because uh, I didn't know until I really looked for the story. Actually, I found it on accident. I looked up uh, murders that happened on Halloween. I was going to do like, oh, here's a here's a list of ten crazy little murders, you know, but I didn't find anything too long and extensive. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do a long episode, so I decided to do a short one. I just give you guys, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour, nothing, nothing too intense. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the candy man. Um, I actually had another thing that I, I wanted to do, but I think I'll do it on the next one. Um, I, how I like to do like the little stories prior to, uh, prior to doing the episodes. This one was gonna be, why is red always sus? Uh, I don't know if you guys play among us, but it's a pretty, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's a good little, uh, why you poop game. Um, but why is red always sus? And I, I, I actually found a lot of the, uh, the psychology behind the, uh, the color red and why it affects us the way that it does. Um, and yeah, so, but that's it. That's, that's the short, sweet little, uh, episode I'm doing for you guys. Um, next episode will probably be getting into, uh, Ted Bundy helping out, um, investigators, of other murderers and actually get into how somebody who was criminally profiled himself um, became a became a profiler in, in a way. Um, kind of stick with the psychology behind it. Stay true to form for the podcast, and then uh, and then the episode after that, I'm debating on who it is that I want to do um, for sides for side profiles. Maybe we'll get into. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm entertaining the idea of doing um, Led Zeppelin next. There's a little bit of shit behind them, and I think that'd be pretty interesting. And then uh, after that, we'll see. I think Richard Ramirez is going to be the next murderer. I know I've been saying that on the last couple episodes. And then if I don't do Richard Ramirez, I want to start doing some cult stuff. So I'll probably do Richard Ramirez before the end of the year, and then uh, all next year I think it's going to be focused around cults, and I think that'd be pretty fun. So... But that's it. That's the episode. Not too long. Not too crazy. I just wanted to give you guys something. Just a little something. And uh, yeah. So once again, check out HR Radio. Uh, check out all my other Profiling Pain podcasts. Check out Rap Sheets. And then um, by the end of the year, there will be a whole um, online merch store. Um, probably won't be like my own. I'll probably be doing a Teespring or, or a Redbubble or something like that. And we'll actually have some shirts and stuff available. Uh, In the meantime, go ahead and uh, 
email me what's going on um, with your guys' schools and your kids and everything else like that. It's uh, centartainment at gmail.com. I always put the link in the bio. Um, and that's it. Uh, so check out the socials. Get some likes on Facebook. Do all that jazz. Share. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, and thanks. So uh, stay safe. Uh, have a good scary Halloween. And uh, stay metal, mofos.